You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 177 and 178 of reading and talking through the Bible. Woo! Woo! It's not a special day, but it is, actually. We're, oh, yes, it is a special day. We're going Episode to, 89. It's very special. We are talking... This is the story of how we named our podcast. That's right. The name <clears> of our <throat> podcast is hidden in today's readings, so pretty exciting. Let's get to it. Let's see where the idea of Fed by Ravens even comes from. All right. It comes from our Old Testament reading today in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 8 through chapter 19. Woo! All right. Let me just get some things out of the way here, Matt. Okay. Let's just go straight to, uh, here's the kings. Yes. You got Elah, or Ella. Yep. Okay, he's ruling for Israel for two years. Yes. Then Zimri decides to kill Elah. Yeah, he was his chariot commandeer. Chariot commandeer? So he's in charge of the chariots, or he just commandeered the vehicle? No, he was the commander. Commander, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. So he kills all of Elah. After two years, Zimri becomes the next guy for he, a week, long enough to kill all the house of Basha, right? Yes, yes. And then uh, he reigns for seven days, but then is Omri, the next Israel king, well, well yeah, he's so, not king yet, he cha- starts chasing Zimri. Yeah, right? so basically Omri uh, hears, like, he's the commander of the army, and he's fighting the Philistines. He hears Zimri did a coup against Ella. Right. The... The soldiers in the field are like, Omri, we want you to be our king. And they run back, attack the capital, and Zimri burns himself alive this guy's a punk. in the house of the king. So if he can't be the king, he's going to ruin the house of the king. Yeah. He burns himself alive. But then there's like a split. And I'm imagining Tibni yes. is someone else that uh, is trying to take the throne. Yes. And so Omri basically uh, defeats Tibni. After five years, it's like a five-year like civil war among yeah. Israel. So the the whole point here is turmoil yes. in Israel. It's just and, constant. And, and now when we're talking about Israel, we're talking about the ten tribes, the northern mm-hmm. tribes. Um, so in the northern tribes, they're split. But after five years, Omri takes control. He reigns uh, for twelve years. He sets up Samaria as like his capital city, mm-hmm. which should sound familiar to people who've been around the church at all, the good mm-hmm. Samaritan. Mm-hmm. We're going to see there's several reasons why the Jews, the tribe of Judah, would hate Samaria. Yes. Not only does it become the capital city, but some other things go down there uh, as well that are awful. So Omri kind of reestablishes Israel, though. Like He kind yeah. of brings uh, security back to Israel here and kind of establishes it as a world power again and by moving it to Samaria was kind of a good move because Samaria is a very uh, well fortified place yeah it's central well he continues to provoke God with the idols he's provoking God Mm -hmm. and from Omri um, we have his son Ahab yeah probably the most infamous king of Israel and now what's curious is uh, as the Bible is saying here the scriptures were saying that Ahab came to reign during the 38th year of Asa. So Asa is the king yeah. of Judah. That means he's only got three years left, really, as king. So Ahab kind of comes to power mm-hmm. right at the 
when things loosen up in Judah. Because yes. when Judah has a good king that follows God, there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to gain anything from them. Well, we, we'll actually see in... So there's like four generations from Omri's line that reigns over Israel. Mm-hmm. And during that time, there's actually some kind of peace between Israel and Judah. Yeah. So Well, Ahab rules for 22 years, mm-hmm. and they are awful. He does a ton of horrible things. Yes. He marries a Sidonian woman named Jezebel, who mm-hmm. is a straight-up Baal worshiper. Mm-hmm. He uh, turned Samaria. He built a temple to Baal in Samaria, mm-hmm. so, which makes me kind of laugh. Like, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, it's like, the Jewish people did not like Samaritans. They thought they were, they, they were racist. And it always kind of felt like, why? Why? Well, this is why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because going back like 400 years, Samaria was a place that not only rejected God, their brothers were rejecting God. They mm-hmm. led each other into Baal worship. Mm-hmm. So this is Samaria. So like, if you want to stay clean, stay away from Samaria. And then uh, it kind of sets that trajectory. But then also you have this little line at the end where Ahab rebuilds Jericho. Yes. So at the expense of the guy who lays the foundation and mm-hmm. builds it, loses his son and like another is it another guy who's his firstborn his son? son and his youngest son. Yeah. Which is what Joshua said. When Joshua yeah. took Jericho down, mm-hmm. he said, Anyone who rebuilds these walls will lose their oldest son and youngest son. And it's like four hundred years removed and this finally just happened. And so remember, Jericho was the first place Joshua mm-hmm. went up against as they entered this promised land. Things have come so far. Oh, we've gone, kind of gotten good, and now we're really bad. But the idea for me coming out of this chapter is um, once you reject God's word, like anything goes now. Mm-hmm. So once you reject what God has said about Jericho, you reject about what God has said about everything. It's like civil war, nothing's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting bad. Things are bad. And, and, and above all, man is provoking God to anger. So what does God do? And this is where we get yeah. like a relief from the king part of it. And now we get into this narrative, which perfectly goes to it. Like when the word of God is disrespected this, this badly, God sends the word. Yes. He sends a prophet. So when there's a king, there's always a prophet. And so now mm-hmm. we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the great hero contrasting all of this evil, Elijah. Elijah. Now, if you remember, God did say when he was giving them the land... That if you obey him, everything will be good. The land yeah. will be uh, overflowing. There'll be all, all like the seasons will be in order, and everything will be good. But if they fill it with evil, there will be droughts, famines. The land will reject them. Yeah. And so we enter into a, a, a drought. A drought. Elijah uh, from Tishbe in Gilead. Interesting. So yeah. So he's. Transjordan, he's from the east side, from Gilead, and uh, he's coming in to give the word of the Lord to Ahab. And he's from the east side? What's, his, what's the east side? Huh? Uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. Maybe I'm thinking of this like America, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is the east. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Good. I just If I'm having that moment, you sitting there listening might be having that moment, too. Yes. Okay. Uh, so he comes in and says, uh, the Lord has said, uh, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, depart. And so now the Lord's saying, 
All right, Elijah, go tell him it's not going to rain and then get out. <laughs> well, and again, like this is the first, I kind of see three things happening. Mm-hmm. The first one is God's words being reestablished yes. to the king. And it's bad news. It's You're going to go through a drought. Because remember... Because you rejected my word. And all the worship is about fertility. It's about uh, fertility of crops. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why they're worshiping, so that they live. And so God hits them with the word of God. Um, and then he leaves. And this is where we get our verse. Mm-hmm. Elisha goes into the wilderness. And God promises to provide for him a brook. So a little bit of water during uh, the famine, and he's going to feed him by ravens. Ravens are going to deliver uh, bread and... Morsels of meat. Meat. So ravens are going to to bring him... I always imagine it like they're going to bring... Like how they build a nest, you know? They get little twigs here Mm -hmm. and there and bring it. So like they're just finding meat and bread and bringing it and piling it up for him. Yeah. It's pretty great, though, but... and. What's interesting, too, is I never really thought about this, but the Brook of Cherith is, like, actually right alongside his hometown, uh, Tishba. Oh, nice. Uh, so he's he retreats back across the Jordan, is hiding out by a brook that's near his hometown. And he's being fed morning and evening. Mm-hmm. Now, we get this idea of fed by ravens because this is how, at least the way I've lived my life, Matt, you identify with this. Yeah. We feel like we are all... My joke had been for the last several years... Man, I'm fed by ravens because mm-hmm. I recognize the ridiculousness of God's provision in my life. And so I keep saying thank you, and I'm going to keep eating what he provides. And so the joke was, I'm fed by ravens. Here's the verse. Chapter 17 of First Kings, verse 4. It's our verse. We're fed by ravens. Fed by ravens. We're totally provided for. And why are we provided for? Because we're going to just trust God's word. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like God's given us his word, and that's going to feed us. We'll see again, though, where this comes back for Elijah in terms of being fed and being sustained by the word of God oh, yes, and yes, literally yes. by food. Yeah, I think but, in this story. So Yeah, it's in this story. So these are kind of the beginning and the end of it. Yeah, so the brook that he's at eventually dries up because there's no rain. So then the Lord tells him, uh, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. So this is way north, past the northernmost reaches of Israel's territory. Okay. And so now he's going into, like, basically Gentile territory. Uh, and this is actually, he's going to a place where Jesus went to. Yeah. And Jesus went to this place once. And this is where the uh, Sidonian woman uh, asks for her... her uh, child to be released from a demon and jesus is like i i came to feed my children first yeah. not the dogs and she's no. like but even the dogs get the scraps yeah and he's like wow what great faith yes so this is in the same area well and and the three things that are going to unfold are you see elijah with the word of god providing mm-hmm. there's food we're going to see resurrection we're going to see total domination you know it's kind of cool like to see what god is restoring through elijah mm-hmm. so Here's the story, then. He goes up there, meets this widow, and asks for something to eat. And she's like, well, I was just about to make our last little bread cake mm-hmm. before we die. And then he says, no, don't do that. Or he says, make it for me. He says, don't worry. You're not going to run out of food or flour or oil. Right. Just make me a cake first, and we'll be good. And she does it. And she does it. And so from her little obedience to the word, she's going to be blessed with food until the drought's over mm-hmm. and much more. But 
That's why I think it's just establishing the word of the prophet is powerful. Yes. And the, the order of God's word, the prophet's word is being restored. So like things are happening um, to lead us to obedience to the true God who has power over the earth, even when we're going through drought and everything. So everything looks like it's good. Like they yeah. get to eat for many days. He just saved this widow and her son's life by yeah. showing up. And, and then the son becomes deathly ill. Right. And dies. And she cries out to him, like, you did this. And I think the idea is, like, when you saved him back then, you did something to us. Like, what do you have against me? I know you're powerful enough to save me. Why is he dying, I think, is the idea. Well, you know what I mean? Because you saved me before. She says, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So she recognizes... Like, she's not Jewish, and so she's recognizing there's something different about this Jewish God. He has more authority, has more power than ours, and I am sinful. And because of my sin, your presence here has caused the death of my son. That's what she's recognizing. So is that a weird way of saying my sins have come back to... Haunt me. me. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Which is kind of a complaint people have. People naturally feel that. Mm -hmm. Who don't know God, they think bad things are happening to them because of their sin, and then they think God's unfair because he's taking it out on a child or something. So. But what happens is. Yeah, so Elijah is like heartbroken. He grabs the child, he takes him up to his room, and he prays to God like over and over for God to save this boy. And he, like, stretches himself out over the boy, and the idea is he's, like, trying to transfer whatever healing that God has given him, whatever power and authority he's given him, to the boy. That's what he's trying to do. He's like, just, Lord, give it to him. And the Lord listens. Well, that's what's amazing. He's like, this is very Jesus stuff. Mm -hmm. That uh, he cries to the Lord three times. The Lord listens. And so, you know, it says, "See, your son lives." Oh, and he yeah, he revives him. Yeah, resurrects him from the dead. And then she responds as it, she's like, "Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord is uh, in your mouth is true. The word of the Lord in your mouth is true." Mm-hmm. It's like completely in a dark time in in Israel, no one believes or cares or thinks there's any power to the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, you have a widow outside of this the limits, mm-hmm. you know who is confessing mm-hmm. and seeing God's power over death. I mean, she's ironically in the city that, um, not the city, but the country that Jezebel came from. Oh, that is ironic. <laughs> and brought her weird wow. Baal worship with her. And so she's out there confessing that Yahweh is the true God while the king of Israel is sacrificing to her Baal. Yeah, it's all flip-flops. Mm-hmm. So the idea we're getting, though, from the prophet's story now is God has not forgotten Israel. He won't forget his people. And so now we go back to, uh, it's time to go to Ahab. Yeah, so three and a half years pass without rain. (laughs) The third year. So rain, no rain and no dew. And Yeah, that's tough. And the Lord says... To Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah gets up and goes. And Ahab and his uh, uh, his servant Obadiah yeah. um, are now like so desperate that to find any type of food or grass for their for their cattle for their animals. 
they're now split. They split up the Israel, the land of Israel, and they're now scouring the land of Israel for blades of grass for their horses to feed on. My, how things have changed. Yes. So Obadiah, whose name is ser- means servant of the Lord, he is secretly like on the side of God. And he has like even hidden prophets in caves away from Ahab's wife Jezebel. But think about how funny or sad that is. Mm-hmm. That the prophet to the king of Israel has to be a secret god worshiper. The oh, the uh, servant. Like the isn't Obadiah a prophet? No. Oh, he's he's the servant. Yeah, he's oh, just I'm a thinking servant. of he's. I thought he wrote something too in the Bible, but. Uh, it's a different one. Different Obadiah. Yeah. Good to know. Well, anyway, he's a secret follower of God. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, that's just sad when you're in the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he brings it up, though. So it's told what he's done. He's saved 100 prophets and mm-hmm. bringing them food on the side. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when he runs into Elijah, Elijah's like, go tell Ahab that I'm here. And, o- and Obadiah's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is going to get me yeah. killed. And then he tells the story. Like, hey... I'm with you, man. I've got a hundred prophets of the Lord that I'm saving, mm-hmm. and and then Elijah's like, "Well, what's the like? What's the deal?" And Obadiah goes on to say, "If I can't find you, the spirit of the Lord will just take you away, like it's done, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll come back here, and I'm dead." Well, because Obadiah set like reveals that Ahab over the last three years has been desperately looking for Elijah yeah. in every of the surrounding countries, and every time. Uh, the king of that country says Elijah's not here. He would make them swear an oath because he was just so desperate. Like, I need to find Elijah and I need to kill him. Yeah. And so he's like, if I go back to Ahab and say, I found Elijah and we come back here and you're not here. Yeah. I'm he dead. will kill me. Well, and then, so Elijah's like, all right, tells him what's going to go down. He's I'll like, go. He's like, don't worry. I, I promise. I swear by the Lord that I will show myself to Ahab today. And so he goes and meets Ahab and Ahab says, Oh, you troubler of Israel. Yes. Like, the way Ahab sees it is, you, by your words, have brought drought upon us. Mm -hmm. You've ruined Israel. He Mm -hmm. doesn't say, like, oh, thank God, reverse this. No. It's just funny how sinners see it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny how I see it at Mm -hmm. times when I'm in my sin. Like, oh, you're making my life hard, Matt, by Mm -hmm. telling me truth. Um, But Elijah sets it straight and says, no, man. That's not true at all. I'm here, you know, he has a big thing about the Lord. Yeah. Which He's is like, pretty great. I haven't troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Right. And then he, like, s- throws down the gauntlet, right? Yes. He says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So that's nice. a reference to the fact that she is now uh, using kingdom, like the taxes, to feed and sponsor uh, Baal, Baal and Asherah worship. And so the Ahab gathers the leaders of Israel and the prophets of Baal and Asherah at Mount Carmel, and Elijah sets up this competition. Yeah, and it, you get the impression like he's just slowly reminding the people like little piece of wood by piece of wood he's restoring an altar to the lord Mm -hmm. and i don't know if the people have a memory of it or they remember hearing about it but they're watching him like knowing he's doing something ancient and valuable and real i think yeah so he 
says, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we are going to... Why are you guys, like, limping, limping, going from one side to the other? If the Lord's real, worship the Lord. If Baal's real, then worship Baal. Yeah. Don't waver between the two. And then he says, we're going to set up two altars, and we're going to take two bulls. The prophets of Baal, you guys pick which bull you want. I'll take whatever you don't want. Set it up on the altar, and then what you're not going to do is you're not going to put fire on this altar. Because we are going to both call to our God and ask him to bring fire from heaven. And whoever does that, that God is real. And remember, too, that the idea of fire is God receiving and eating up Mm -hmm. the sacrifice. It's pleasing. And so um, we've seen where angels have showed up and they consume without it it being lit on fire by Mm -hmm. the people. So Elijah, I mean, really, yeah, he's like, stop limping. I love that. It's like, how long are you going to just be Mm -hmm. wishy-washy? Well, he calls it down. Those guys go to town, and apparently the Baal prophets have most of the morning to do this, right? Yes. And they're cutting themselves. They're mutilating themselves to incite their God Mm -hmm. to do something. So they're putting on this big show, Mm -hmm. desperate to prove. And remember, you have to think, too. They really believed that everybody's just trying to survive. Yeah. So they're worshiping things to survive. So they really believe that Baal, it just makes more sense to them that Baal worship would allow crops to grow. Mm-hmm. The God of all everything is too far away for them. It's like, eh, we'll take a specific God. Yes. And so they are uh, mutilating themselves, mm-hmm. cutting themselves. Just to try to get his attention. To get his attention and crying out to him. And then uh, <clears throat> Elijah, this is the reason we like Elijah, because he's like, What's the matter? Is your God busy? Is he on the toilet? What's yeah. going on? He starts making fun of him. Yes. Um, and then nothing happens. So now it's Elijah's turn. Mm-hmm. And he builds it step by step. And it's amazing. But So this is where I actually get the idea that Elijah is a Levite. Because okay. he understands the proper way of yeah. building a, an altar and rebuilding an altar. But he's not frantic. He's not out of control. Mm-hmm. And then he gets it all ready and he pours water. And I used to think that just makes the trick better. But now I'm realizing, man, it's three and a half years of drought. Where'd you get water? Exactly. What are you doing, man? You're wasting precious water? Yes. So I was thinking Shocking. I was thinking about that. Because I've never Me neither. I've never thought about it in this context of it's oh, just been a it's just been a drought. And the if the king is looking for blades of grass, grass, you're dumping yeah. water. So he's taking whatever water is. I imagine whatever water is left among the people in that moment. Right. He's like, "Give it all to me. I'm gonna f- pour it all over this altar." Because he's so confident and he trusts God so much that he yeah. knows God is going to show up and there is going to be rain today. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. And then, then, and you know, in contrast to them weeping and wailing and yes. cutting themselves. He simply, uh, and at the time of the offering of the, the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is all he did. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you, you have turned their hearts back. That's all he said. Mm-hmm. Like he's already saying God's going to turn their hearts back. Once they see this. And then immediately fire fell from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. Like immediately it all happens. Yeah. And it 
consumes everything. The stones, the wood, and, the and, water. And it's like the people of Israel wake up from a dream. Yes. They're like, what? And all of a sudden they're in their right minds. Yes. Like what we've just seen is amazing. So Elijah's like, look, we need to purify ourselves of all these demon worshipers mm-hmm. that have taken over. And so they start to kill. He's like, seize the prophets of Baal, let no one escape. So they seize them and they take them down to the brook Kishon, which is at the base of uh, Mount Carmel. Okay. And slaughter them there. And so now Elisha's like, well, hopefully it rains. Well, so yeah, so Elijah goes to Ahab, says, go up, eat, drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab goes and has a meal, and Elijah goes back up to the top of Mount Carmel and bows himself down on the earth and puts his face between his knees. So again, it's like a total posture of total humiliation and humbling himself before God. But he asks God, and then he sends his servant to go look seven times. Yes. Like you continue to be a man of prayer, Mm -hmm. and James uses Elisha as a man Mm -hmm. of righteous and effective in his praying. Um, You keep praying. Yeah, you keep asking. (laughs) And then, sure enough, it starts small, but the rain begins to pour, Mm -hmm. and this is where you have the three-and-a-half-year drought is over at the word of God through Elijah. It started Mm -hmm. because of Elijah. Now it's finally over, and then um, Ahab starts to take off. He tells him, you better go back to Jezreel or something. Yeah, it's the closest city. And then um, Elijah, Elijah supernaturally runs 15 miles. Yes, faster than <clears throat> Ahab's chariot can yeah. run. Just like, runs. This guy there. is amped right now. Yeah, I love it. He's rightly like so. full in the spirit. He just like had this major victory against uh, Baal, really. And the beauty of the scriptures is like we would stop if this was our story. Mm-hmm. This is what we would post on whatever social media we yeah. use, right? We would post yeah. this. That would be the end of it. But the scriptures tell the whole thing for our edification. It's yeah. good for us to know that a man like Elijah is also has weakness of a it's human. also a human, yes. He's totally human. Because what happens next is he ends up running for his life because Jezebel says, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. Yeah, she finds out what happened because apparently she just wasn't there, which is interesting. And I'm thinking she wasn't there. Well, she's, the, she's, not, Israel, she's not from Israel. She's yeah. Sidonian, right? Yes, but her prophets were there. Right, but I'm saying she, she doesn't have any emotional mm-hmm. connection. I think Ahab could be like, uh, you know, whatever works. He's probably right. pragmatic. Right. And she's like, no, you know, Ahab, this thing's good because I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And this guy is a troubler, and what, you're telling me he's still alive? And he killed uh, probably 700 prophets. Right, <laughs> and like turned the people. Yes. So humiliated everything, humiliated her God that she's in charge of, mm-hmm. like running and establishing... So uh, Elijah is just like us. He freaks out. Even though he'd just seen God do something mighty, he runs for his life into the wilderness, tries to get as close to Judah or into Judah. No, no, no. So this is crazy. I didn't realize this. He runs. So so Jezreel is like pretty far north. He goes all the way into Judah. So again, he's like, I got to get as far away from Jezebel as possible. So he runs into Judah territory, but he keeps going. He goes to Beersheba, which Beersheba is the southernmost city in Judah. And then he drops his servant off there and says, stay here. And he keeps going into the desert, into the wilderness where the Israelites traveled. Well, that's what's so amazing. So I, you see him say, 
He has this self-pity. He actually goes now to wanting to commit suicide. Well, He's like, I want to die. So this is interesting. I read it differently this time. Me too. You're going to say, just like my father's, in the wilderness. Yes, but he... <laughs> yes, and? He's running, right? Like, he's scared. He got all caught up. He's been making this epic journey right. to as far away from Jezebel as possible. He gets into the desert area, stops for a second. He's underneath. He's in the wilderness, and now he's going, oh, man. He, like, wakes up. He's like, I'm not any better than my fathers who died in the wilderness, who had no faith in God. Yes. I have no faith in God. That's how I read it, too. Kill me. Right. Like, I, I failed then, you, God. You should kill me. And let me die in the wilderness like my, that faithless generation. Before, I died. thought it was, like, straight hopelessness of, like, I can't outrun Jezebel, so, Lord, you kill me. It oh, was, no. uh, yeah. I saw it this, yeah, the same this way time, this time. It was, uh, oh, man, I ran from Jezebel. Oh, like man. my fathers wouldn't listen to you and ran from the promised land. Exactly. He's like, I'm just like those guys yeah. who never got into the promised yeah. land. So I should just die. But that's where the angel meets him. Just the same yes. angel. The angel meets um, the, the angel meets Jesus in the wilderness mm-hmm. and he meets uh, Elijah in the wilderness and he feeds him, gives him another meal. That's a miraculous kind of provision. Yeah, like he gives man. him a meal. He eats. He falls back asleep. And then... The angel wakes him back up, says, arise, eat, for the journey you're about to make is too much for you. And so the angel is like supernaturally strengthening him. And just like Moses, who was on the Mount Sinai for 40 days uh, and had no food. Or Jesus in the desert Mm -hmm. with no food. Elijah. Elijah with no food. Goes for 40 days. He travels to Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And he travels to Mount Sinai, goes into a cave, again, much like the scene with Moses, where Moses is hidden in the cleft of a rock, and God shields his face as he passes in front of him. Because he wants to see God's glory, Moses does. And so God's going to show him his glory to Elijah in a different way. And this is what I think wraps it all up. Yeah. Is... uh, Long story short, he does the earthquake, he does a fire, he does like a mighty wind, a mighty wind, and all these things. But God's not in that. What mm-hmm. is God in for Elijah? He's in the gentle whisper. Yes, it covers his face, gets the gentle whisper, and I think that's because Elijah is bringing the word of God, mm-hmm. restoring God's word to God's people, and so Moses was bringing. The full glory of God for the mm-hmm. first time. Given the, the Yeah, he's bringing the law. It's too much to look at. Mm-hmm. And Elijah is bringing the whisper. And who's going to bring both um, and have a similar experience in the wilderness? Jesus. Jesus. He's going to bring the law and the gospel. It's pretty cool. So I saw it that way. And then immediately Elijah is like, he does it twice. Like, oh, God, I failed. And there's no one left but me. Mm-hmm. And that's where God says, I have over 7,000. He says, look, I know your church isn't that big. But it's big enough to get the job done. I have plenty who are faithful. And now I got a huge job for you, Elijah. You're going to act like my prophet. Mm -hmm. So he goes and he assigns um, Hazael, the king over Syria. He goes and he's going to go anoint and make Jehu king over Israel. And he's going to find his next little protege, Elisha, to be the next prophet. Mm -hmm. Which I thought were huge. Basically, he's taking on idolatry in the land through Elijah. Elijah's going to go back and set up the kings mm-hmm. and try to get rid of all this idolatrous stuff. Yes. And so, interestingly enough, though, I think Elijah, out of the three things, yeah. only anoints Elisha 
Really? And then Elisha finishes out the calling. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't think Elijah anoints Jehu or Haziel. <clears throat> well, it's exciting to see when he comes up to Elisha, Elisha is, is somehow with great skill handling 12 oxen. 24. Or 24 oxen, you yeah. know. So he's a skilled, strong dude. He His spirit is like immediately... I'll come with you. And then Elijah is like, oh, wait, maybe you should take care of some business first. Looks like you got a lot. Okay, yeah. And he goes and sacrifices all 24 plus the yoke. <laughs> he burns takes, everything. Yeah. Takes care of his family, burns everything, which makes me think of that story where uh, the guy says, oh, let me bury my father before I follow you, Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is like, let the dead bury the dead. Like, yeah. come on, man. Read the story of Elijah. Yeah. You're getting a chance to walk with the better Elijah. Yeah. And you're talking to me about what? Your ox and your dad and your mom? Come on. Yeah. And so uh, Elijah does what? We all kind of do when we get saved. We go, oh, this is this is where I want my life to be. Yeah, and so you burn, you burn. everything else behind you and offer it up to God. Whew, wow, a lot it. going on. These are some of the best stories, though. I love I love the idea of Elijah and um, and the contrast of great victory and then really sad uh, sad fears. But in all of it, God's gentle whisper is there, and um, he's going to carry out his plans by his word through people who can be faithful at times by the help of God. All right. Where are we now? We're in... Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 17 through chapter 18, verse 8. So Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey, and uh, they just, God miraculously set them free in a jail cell, and uh, they were let go. They were told to leave the city because uh, they were punished inappropriately. The town who attacked them, who put them in jail didn't realize that uh, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Yeah. And they're told, please, please leave. And so they move on, and they move on um, to the next big place is uh, Thessalonica. Yeah, so Thessalonica, they go, in this place they found an actual synagogue. Yes. So thanks to the dispersion of, through those ex- mm-hmm. exiles in the Old Testament, there are Jews kind of scattered throughout the world. Yes. But... They go there, and Paul, this is where we get an idea of what Paul does. He goes and he spends about three weeks at the synagogues mm-hmm. because it's like a courtesy call. It's like, yeah. hey, guys, um, here's what's happened in Jerusalem. The Messiah that we were looking for has come, mm-hmm. and now here's what's changing. And so he goes to, to tell them that and gets many, many people believe in both Jew and Gentile. But, of course, that um, upsets the power mm-hmm of the synagogue. And so the, so a lot of the Jews in that area get mad if they feel like he's stealing people, you know. Or, yes. And so um, what do they do in Thessalonica? They do what they always do, which is accuse them of uprising and uh, against the king. Yes. They're doing something different. So um, the world, that's all the world can do when they're losing power is to say, you're rebelling and trying to lead people against what we love. So they try to arrest him. They try to get him, but he's like, they can't find him. So they take the guy whose house he was staying at and make him uh, promise that there was not going to be any more trouble in the city. Sounds like he had to pay a bribe or something. He had to pay a fine and like basically level, levy his uh, house and ownings or uh, belongings um, to kind of 
be like, if anything else happens, retake everything from you. Right. And so he does See, that, and then they, like, find Paul and get him out of the city secretly. Do you know what the word... I just realized something. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us are scared to evangelize. Like, we're scared to talk about Jesus to people. Mm-hmm. That's not the scary part. Talking to... I'm realizing today, talking to people about Jesus is the easy nothing part of it. The scary part is when people actually believe. Because as soon as people start to believe in Jesus... The people around them who don't recognize that their allegiance and something in them has changed now mm-hmm. and we can't trust them. Yeah. And that's when you get in trouble. Yeah. Yet we think just sharing is going to get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, what a breath of fresh air for Paul going to Berea. Yes. Am I right? Uh, yes. Like right. this place is Paul's dream. He gets mm-hmm. one dream place. Mm-hmm. It's Berea. Because he shows up to their synagogue, yes. and these guys have been waiting. They're so excited because they examine the scriptures daily. Yeah. And so they're ready. They're like, okay, let's hear what you have to say. Let's look at it. Let's figure this out. And then out. they're like, are you true? true? Yeah. This is, this is who Isaiah was talking. This is who Habakkuk. This yeah. is who, oh, 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 oh. You know, how excited. <laughs> what happened at Pentecost? That is just like Babel. They're like yeah. connecting everything. Paul is like, these people are awesome. And remember, I've known people who went to... Church is called, like, it's called Berea Baptist Church or something. Because there's churches that want to mm-hmm. be like the Bereans. Mm-hmm. But it, it dawned on me today, the Bereans were just Jews. And they were studying the Old Testament. Yes. <laughs> so great. Yeah. But no, I mean, we still aspire to be the same. When God comes and when God's people speak to us, the more we're in the scripture, the more we're ready to receive it and connect it and have it work its mm-hmm. power out in our life. But what a nice oasis for Paul. He finally gets to a place that gets it. And he's and, just but like, then oh. those Thessalonians yeah. have to ruin it all. So those guys hear about what's happening in Berea, and they're like, oh, no. And then they just march right. on over there. And like, they're like, what is their problem? Are they losing money or something? Like, yeah, geez. they are losing their minds. So they march into Berea and are like, we got to get this guy. But they realize, though, uh, they being Tim, Timothy, I call him Tim. Tim. Tim and Silas. And the leaders there are like, we got to get Paul out of here. Yeah, so Paul so, goes to Athens. So apparently they really only wanted Paul. Yeah, they can't stand Paul because Paul was one of them and knows. Yeah. They probably think they can take Timothy and Silas and like whatever. But Silas and Timothy actually get to stay in Berea and like help that church. Well, And of course, why wouldn't they? They, mm-hmm. they would want to because these people are willing to search the scriptures yeah. and put it all together. And that's why I think like the Bereans... Man, they are fed by ravens. They're the ones who are waiting on the word of God, and mm-hmm. here comes the word of God. They respond. But Paul has to keep moving. He goes to Athens, yeah. to a city that is full of idols. Yeah. And uh, provoking God by their idols. He, like, this is like the philosophical epicenter of Greece. Yeah, this is uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. This is this where, is where people legitimately, like men, as a legitimate career, would sit around and talk about philosophical ideas. Yes. So he goes to the synagogue and to the marketplace there, and he's talking a lot, and then he's overwhelmed, basically, by all the idols, and goes to a place called the Areopagus, which is known as Mars Hill. Yeah. And it, it's not a place where just citizens go. It is, like, the clergy there, and yeah. the philosophers, and, like, yeah, it's a... It's a upper level institution kind of like a college or a Mm -hmm. doctorate program and so they hear what paul's talking about and it's something new and they like new things they do they and i think they've heard the old testament stuff Mm -hmm. but they are like what's this new 
thing you're talking about. Yeah, so why don't you come to Mars Hills, and Willie will talk about this. Yeah, and then so he goes, and he sees a monument to the unknown god. Mm -hmm. So, like, they covered their bases. They have all their gods, but then they're like, hey, we recognize there's more going on, Mm -hmm. so there's probably some unknown gods, and we want to be on your side and manipulate you however we can. We don't know your name, (laughs) so let's at least make an idol to the unknown god. So Paul picks up on this, and is like, for being, and he's not, he's actually really nice to these guys. He's, he didn't say, for being smart, you guys sure are stupid. No, I love, but he does kind of come he's, at it in a backhanded way. I love it. He's like, I've discerned that you guys are kind of spiritual. Which is great. Because <laughs> I've seen that there's an inscription even to the unknown God. Interesting. Huh. Well. <laughs> we know him. Uh, yeah, and so he begins to make a case for God, the creator of all things, yeah. and kind of breaks it all down. But then what, what I find really clever about Paul, and this is where you start to see Paul is just that he was the right choice yes, yeah. for going to the Gentiles and ending up here, because he begins to quote uh, Greek philosophers yeah. and use their quotes to back up his thesis. Well... Paul is an absolute genius, like yes. real genius. Yes. Because I've read a, a bunch of works about um, the skill of rhetoric, mm-hmm. rhetor- rhetoricians, rhetoricians, I don't know how to say it, rhetoric. And he's he employs all these different skill sets because mm-hmm. oration was a major thing you'd get paid for. And these guys mm-hmm. were master orators. And Paul not only can recall, he's well-read, but he I think he probably had a photographic memory or something. Like he just was on it mm-hmm. and full of the Holy Spirit because he hits them exactly where they need to be hit and he even says, look, God overlooked that you didn't know for a while, but yeah. now you do. And so now that you do, repent and turn to, there's a one-stop shop here. Yeah, You don't need to do all this. There's one God for you. And, yeah. he, and, and so his presentation of the gospel is so much different. It kind of gives us a roadmap for when you're on the mission field. And I think even America is the mission field now. You're allowed to meet people where they're at with the gospel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to always be... It's not the same presentation as to the guys in the synagogue, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you killed Jesus. That's to the, the Jewish folks. Mm-hmm. To these guys, he's like, uh, repent. Yeah. There's one man, Jesus Christ, for the assurance by resurrection. What they heard, and they actually heard the main thing, resurrection. Yeah. And so some people loved it, others mocked him like, you're crazy. Yeah. What is that about? Because uh, especially the Gnostics at this point, or the budding Gnostics, uh, they would have been totally against the resurrection because their whole thing is we got to move to spirit and get away from the body. So the idea of a physical bodily resurrection is like, no, that's the opposite of what we right. want. So that's yeah. why there's like a solid split. But he does get some people, and one of the guys, Dionysus, the... Uh, Aeropagite, which means he was a studier or a speaker from the Mars Hill. Right. And Dionysus also means he was, I mean, his name is after the god of wine. Yeah, the whole thing is like on Ares, like <laughs> yeah. the god of war. Everything yeah. is gods here. It's, I mean, it's very interesting. But he, in church history, actually um, is like uh, attributed as one of the main church leaders in Athens. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, so the gospel has gotten way out there. Yeah. I mean, we are way, we're far away from Jerusalem. Far from home. We are not uh, in Kansas anymore. Yeah, no, and that's what's exciting. So the original Mm -hmm. audience is reading this or hearing this going, one of our guys got that far. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then we know 
This is like the epicenter of philosophy and thought that yeah. has shaped the way people look at things to this day. Yes. And Paul is right there going toe-to-toe, um, showing us that as Christians, we can be in any walk of life. We take the light of Christ mm-hmm. anywhere we go with everything we have, and it's not always going to look the same. So it's pretty cool. I don't know what happens next. I didn't know we went to chapter 8. I thought I just, 18, yeah, just verse 8. So he leaves 18. Athens, and this is where he goes to, into Corinth. And he meets uh, Aquila and Pontus, who were both Jews. They were forced out of Rome because there's like, within history, there's this uh, brief little reference that uh, the Caesar Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome because they were fighting over a man named Crestus, which is probably Christus. And so they were having a dispute over Christ. And so they (laughs) forced the the Jews out of Rome. And so they are now in Corinth, and Paul stays with them because they're all tent makers. Paul's a tent maker, and so are they. So he's like, hey, let's join forces. And so he stays with them. Uh, Silas and Timothy finally catch back up with him here. And they find him just doing what Paul always does, is testifying to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And... Uh, it says, whenever anyone opposed him or reviled him, he would shake out his garments, say, your blood be on your heads, I am innocent, and from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Does it say whenever? Or it sounds, I thought I got the impression when they, like, yes, it, it happened says. again, and he's just like, okay, I'm not going to waste too much time. If you guys are going to immediately mm-hmm. be against me, yes. boom, shake off my sandals, blood's yep. on your own head, I'm out. I'm going yep. to where people are uh, open. Yeah, and then... And that's what's so sad is that the people of God are not open. That's what's happening in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's what happens here. It's like we got to be open to hearing the voice of God and his word. Anyway, cool, man. Paul is, uh, is on it. Yeah, he's getting out there. And this is where the Corinthians, he starts to meet some Corinthians. So, yeah, it's very cool. All right. Today, I'm going to read Psalm 78, verse 9 through 31. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime he led them with the cloud, and all night with the fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness, and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock, and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart, by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so the water gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can he give can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he led out the south wind. 
He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp around their dwellings, and they ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.